about our love for God. You know, a friend told me years ago, and I didn't understand it at the time, and it began to have an impact in my life over time. But he said, you know, the greatest thing that we can give God, or the greatest thing we can do, is just to love Him. Just to love Him. Return unconditional love towards Him. And not loving Him for what He does or what He can do for us, but just simply loving us. And as we talked about, because see the accuser of the brethren, Satan, his greatest accusation is that God's kids only love him because of what we can get from him. Remember the whole showdown with Job. God was so excited about Job. Now, this is my, my interpretation of that. But God was specifically pleased and excited about this man. And it talked about the, you know, Satan coming up and and they had this conversation with God and he says, what have you been up to? And he says, I've been hanging out doing this. And then God says, have you considered my servant Job? God brought up the conversation. And then Satan says, well, yeah, but he only loves you or he only honors or obeys you because you protect him, you bless him and all that. And if you were to remove all that, then you'd see his true character. And God said, go for it. And then we see the whole whole thing happening. Job loses everything, but he never turns his back on God. Even when Job did not understand what was going on or why it was going on, and of course he had his friends come and share their theories as to why things were going on. Job had his theories as to why it was going on, but he really didn't understand. And even Job's wife told him to curse God and die. Just get it over with. Just curse God, who's allowing this to happen, who's doing this to you, and just get it over with. And then Job said something like, Shall I only praise him when good things happen? And we see that the cool thing about Job was regardless of what happened in his life, even the horrendously bad things, he still would not turn away from God. He still loved God. And yet we in in this modern time, we get offended at people in the church. Or we get offended by whoever and we turn away from God. Our prayers don't get answered. Things don't happen the way we think they should happen. Things that we believe God told us or spoke to us, they don't happen or they haven't happened yet. And we get offended and turn away from Him. Therefore, proving Satan's accusation. That we only love Him when things go our way. Or when He gives us what we want. And I don't know about you, but that's not what I want to be about. I want to love God because. The Bible says, I love him because he first loved me. I want to return that love back to him. And the more I get to know him, the more I realize he's incredible. He's amazing. He's worth giving myself to, my love to. And so if we desire to want to draw close to him and have a stronger relationship with him... We need to have a picture of what that looks like. And I believe that's one reason why he equates it it to marriage. Because marriage is one of those relationships. And it's a relationship ordained by God. But we all understand it to a certain extent. We understand marriage. And so if we realize, okay, what do I need to do to have a stronger relationship with God? Well, we say, what do I need to do to have a stronger relationship with my spouse? For example, you must... Protect 
your relationship with your spouse. I mean, specifically, intentionally protect it from anything that would try to come against it. For example, if I'm hanging out with that woman. Or if I knew of someone who had had hate towards my wife, and she was trying to destroy our relationship, to protect our relationship, I would deal with that person or remove myself from that person or remove that person from me. I mean, you get what I'm saying? We have to protect our relationship with our spouse. You know, they statistically that, you know, we've all heard the, the statistics about divorce. 50% of the marriages, and now it's even above 50% of the marriages end in divorce. Apparently, those people did not protect their relationship. They didn't protect their marriage. They weren't intentional. You know, I've even heard things, heard people say things like, I just don't feel that way about her anymore. So? (laughs) I just don't have those feelings anymore. So we have to be intentional. We have to protect second thing is, is we have to invest in a relationship. Let me back up to protect. Protecting a relationship. Now, I'm, I'm talking about two different things. And I believe the Holy Spirit's going to highlight to you what you're really needing the most. Because I'm kind of flipping back and forth between marriage and our relationship with God. So whatever the Holy Spirit highlights in your heart, just let Him go with that. Okay? So when we're talking about protecting our, our spouse, our relationship with our spouse, we also have to do the same thing with our relationship with God. Anything that would try to cool my affection towards Him, I have to protect, I have to remove that. I have to be on guard against that. And many of us are not in protect mode. We're not defending. And therefore things are, are attacking our relationship. Jesus told His disciples, He said, the world hates me. So be ready, it's going to hate you too. The world system is antichrist. And we live in this world. We live in, we live and the influence of the system is all around us. And if we're not careful, the system will begin to influence us. And it will begin to undermine our relationship with Jesus. Its goal is to destroy our relationship with God. Antichrist against Christ. So we have to be intentional and protect from distractions or things that would want to destroy. What if you married folks? How is it when you hang out with people, or if you hang out with a person who's married, but hates being married, hates their marriage, rags on their spouse every opportunity they they get? You hanging out with people like that, what is that going to do to your relationship with your spouse? Or what can it do? Maybe some of you have been around people like that. Or people who are struggling in their relationship. Or maybe they're just recently divorced or they're bitter towards their spouse. And you're hanging out with that person. And guess what's going to happen? They're probably going to influence your attitude towards your spouse. And what can happen is... Because they're ragging on their spouse, and so they're focusing on their faults, the offenses. And what that can do to you is cause you to begin to dwell on the negative attributes or the shortcomings of your spouse. 
Same thing with God. This world, you hear it's not fair. Life's unfair. And there's a lot of unjust things going on. A lot of innocent people suffering, dying, that kind of thing. You focus on those things. What does it cause you to do? It causes you to dwell on the characteristics or the things that make you doubt God. God, if you're so good, then why? So if we're not intentionally protecting then we're going to lose. At worst, our relationship's going to be totally undermined and destroyed. And maybe less than that, we just become totally neutral and we become casual Christians. There's a verse in First Colossians. Excuse me, First Colossians. If you find First Colossians, let me know. First Colossians. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 through 3. It says, since, I'm reading out the NLT again. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits at God's right hand in the place of honor and power. Let heaven fill your thoughts. Do not think only about the things down here on earth. For you die with Christ, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. In another translation, which I'm not sure which one it is, because I might have written down the wrong one, but it says, Therefore you have been raised up with Christ. Keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Here's the point. Right there, he is telling us to be intentional where we set our thoughts. He's saying, set your thoughts on things above. To set intentionally. There's another verse in um, Philippians chapter 4. Hope I got it written down. Verse 8. Yes, I do. New King James, it says, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, if anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Meditate. Again, it's talking about intentionality. Meditating. And it's so important in our relationship with our spouse. For example, to meditate on the attributes of that of your spouse, the noble ones, the praiseworthy, the honorable, the wonderful. We have to be intentional in doing that. Because being with a spouse, if we're married, we see their shortcomings, we see their mistakes. And what can tend to happen is, is we meditate on those. We remember the last time she didn't do what I asked. Or we remember the last time she offended me. And we set our mind on those things. Now, if you continually set your mind on the negative attributes of your spouse, what's going to happen over time? Let's say 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 15, 20 years. 
And then you say, I just don't have those feelings for her anymore. And I wonder why. Because don't we realize that we all have shortcomings? We all have faults and we mess up, we make mistakes. And so we could easily focus and meditate on those things. But the Bible says to meditate, meditate on the things that are of good report. If there's any virtue, anything praiseworthy, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever things are just. Same thing with our relationship with God. We can focus on the prayers that didn't get answered. I can focus on the times that I prayed for people and they didn't get healed. I can focus on the promises of things that I believe God spoke to my heart and they have not come to fruition. And I've been praying and praying and praying and praying. If I meditate on those things, what's going to happen towards my, with my heart towards God? I mean, think about it. Common sense. If, if you want to wonder why I'm not passionate about him, what have I been meditating on? But what I've been choosing to do is not meditate on, and I'm not going to act like they don't exist. God and I are talking about things like, Lord, I don't understand this. I don't understand why they didn't get healed. I don't understand why. I thought you told me. I don't understand. But I'm not camping out there. See, I used to camp out there, and I put myself in a posture that, God, I'm not moving on until we get this figured out. It's like little pipsqueak me is calling the shots. It's like, wait a minute, who's Lord in this picture? You didn't see me hanging on a cross for you guys. But yeah, how often do we do that? And I know I did that. And I positioned my posture and my heart and my soul were stuck. Until he showed me that's what I was doing. I said, God, help me. I don't know what else to do. And basically he showed me, will I trust him regardless? Is he trustworthy? And see, that's the bottom line. Is he trustworthy? And I've come to the conclusion that even though I don't understand... Even though I still have questions, those questions are not going to stop me. And what I've done, and I have to do this often because when those things try to come up and consume my soul, what I do is I say, God, I give this back to you to answer and deal with it how you see fit. When you want to answer these questions, I'm right here. You know how to get a hold of me. You got my cell number. But I'm going to trust this with you. And in the meantime, I'm coming after you. I'm passionately pursuing. And so what am I doing? I'm meditating on his goodness. I'm dwelling on his character that he is so good all the time. He is wonderful. He died for me. He did everything possible so I can have relationship with him. That's what worship does. When I'm worshiping, I'm focusing on his wonderful attributes and his glory. Same thing with my spouse. You know, the Holy Spirit showed me something a a while ago, and it actually works. 
But what I do is I focus, like sometimes, well, most of the time I wake up before my wife. But before I get up, I just sit there and I look at her. And I dwell. Okay, we're keeping this PG, okay? (laughs) During our marriage conference, we'll talk about the other stuff. But right now. But I sit there and intentionally set my mind on her positive attributes. I think how awesome she is, how wonderful she is, how incredible she is, how she takes care of me, how she puts up with me, how all these years, we've been married for almost 25 years, and yet she's still crazy about me. She's crazy, but she... (laughs) But I think on these things, and I intentionally dwell on these. And it may be 10, 15, 20 minutes. My thoughts may go other places, but we won't talk about that either. But what happens, and this has been going on for years and years and years and years. And so what's the result of that? I'm passionate about her. Same thing with God. I intentionally dwell on his goodness. Result, I'm passionate. I begin to lose my passion for him when I allow my mind to dwell on things That are discouraging. So I have to intentionally set my mind, meditate on the goodness of God. Amen? We have to invest in a relationship. We know we have to protect it. We also have to invest in our relationship. You know, those of you who are still married... And you may be thinking, well, at least I'm not a statistic. I'm still married, so I'm not the, the marriages that didn't last. But what kind of marriage do you have? Husbands, if you would dare to ask your spouse, your wife, how she feels about your relationship, and she, you give her the freedom to be totally honest, what would she say? Maybe you ought to ask her. But before you ask her, you might want to pray and fast for a number of days. (laughs) Get that heart ready. But my question to you, brothers, sisters, you can listen too, but I'm just talking to the brothers specifically. What are you doing to invest in your relationship with your wife? And I'm not talking about the, well, I bring money home, I provide. Forget that, okay? Let's just put that aside because we know that's what we do. But that's not what I'm talking about. What are you doing to invest in your relationship with your wife? You know, I've had people, most of you know I have six kids. Half of them are grown. One of them almost is and the other two think they are. (laughs) But I have six kids and I've had... You know, brothers over the years asked me, how do you do it with six kids? The, the answer is intentionality. If I'm not intentional in investing in a relationship with my wife, guess what's going to happen? Life, busyness, kids, activities, all that stuff, it's going to flood in and just kind of dictate my life. And then when all the kids grow up and they all move out and I look at this lady and we look at each other and say, what was your name again? We don't know each other. 
No relationship there. We're roommates. So I have to be intentional. What does that mean? Spending time with. Spending time with. Same thing with God. You know, we talk about, yeah, I know, read your Bible and pray. Yeah, I know, but what else can I do? And we blow that off. But basically, it's spending time with the Father. Now, because I value my relationship with my wife, I'm going to intentionally invest and spend time. If I value my relationship with God and backing up with my wife, I don't see Excuse me. I don't see it as a chore, but as an honor and a privilege to be able to spend time with her. It's not like, okay, honey, let's go ahead and do this date, get it over with so I can check it off my checklist. But that's how a lot of us treat our relationship with God. Yep, prayed this morning. Ching. Yep, I read the Bible. Ching. Okay, now I can move on and do fun stuff. And then we wonder why our relationship with God is weak, why our relationship with our spouse is weak. Why the church is weak, but it doesn't have to be. And the Lord gives us wonderful, practical things that we can do. Because when he says to draw close to him, he gives us ways that we can do that. When the Lord, when the, yeah, the word tells us husbands to love our wives and cherish them, there are practical ways we can do that. Find out. Honey, what do you like to do? What would you like to do? Let's go on a date. Let's go somewhere. What would you like to do? And invest time. Invest time. Some of you young parents, when you think that, well, I don't have time to go out with my spouse because I'm busy with our kids, you are doing your kids a, a huge disservice. If you want to develop and build... Um, not only self-esteem, but um, I just want to blank on the word. What's the word? Security. Thank you. Security in your children. Love each other. When your kids see that mom and dad are okay, their world is okay. When they see mom and dad not okay, the world gets turned upside down. Especially our kids who are of age where they go to school and their friends, unfortunately many of their friends, come from divorced homes. So then in their little minds, they're thinking, when is it going to happen to my mommy and daddy? And you can tell, and if they come to you and ask you questions, and you can say, oh, son, that'll never happen to us. That'll never happen to us. That'll never happen to us. And all they hear is words, but they don't see action behind it. You're just wasting your time. But when they see mom and dad hanging out and liking each other, Spending time together, flirting with each other. They may giggle and say, ooh, that's gross. Because we hear that quite often. But in their hearts, they are jumping for joy. Kids like it when their parents like each other. You know, when I was thinking about this earlier, that we look at newlyweds. And the same thing with young Christians. We see a young Christian, they just get saved and they are on fire. They are passionate. And some of us more mature ones who have been around a while, what do we say? Oh, it's okay, they'll settle down. It's okay, they'll cool off. 
Man, what kind of a curse is that? And what do we say about newlyweds? Oh, you cute little things. That's okay. The honeymoon will be over someday. Isn't that stupid? Who should be more passionate about their spouse? A person that just got married or someone who's known their spouse for 20 plus years. I mean, if you really think about it. You know, when I'd hear people say, you'd hear it on movies or you'd hear it, uh, one spouse saying to the other, they've been married for a long time, honey, I love you now more than I've ever loved you before. <laughs> now you've heard that, right? And they're all smoochy, smoochy, that kind of thing. And it's like, is that really true? Yes. Yes. When you've known someone for 25 years, you've been together, and they know your ins and outs, all the good, bad, the ugly, and they still love you? Ooh, baby. We're talking now. Talking about passion. But that's the way it should be. We should give the young couple something to look forward to. And I appreciate the examples that I've had before me, that I've seen before me in this church, even before I was married. And I'd say, when I get older, when I get married, I want a relationship just like that. I want to be like Dale and Teresa. Seriously, I used to say that because I see how he cares for his wife. And it's like, you know what? I want that. Stephen Becky Irby. I want that. The Elliots, Wayne and Nancy Elliott. I mean, those people are crazy. They still hold hands. <laughs> we went on a mission trip to Chiapas a, few years, a couple of years back. And uh, we were heading off somewhere. The, the woods were going to show us something. And I happened to be behind Wayne and, and Nancy. And they were walking. They were just holding hands, acting like little kids. I said, thank you, Jesus. I love that couple. Because it gives me hope and encouragement that when I'm a little bit older, <laughs> I can still be passionate about my wife. Instead of the old ball and chain nonsense that we hear. We in the church should be masters of relationship. Because we're in close relationship to the ultimate one who knows how to do relationship and we're allowing him to not only change our lives but deal with our stuff that would hinder us from moving in relationship. So as we're allowing him to deal with all that and we're learning how to relate to one another and we're getting better at it and better at it and better at it because we're learning to love unconditionally, we're learning to forgive we're learning to be intentional. And so in our marriages, with our children, with our brothers and sisters, the world ought to look at us and say, hmm, you got something I want. And I believe someone pretty famous said something to that extent. He said, by this will the world know that you are my disciples. 
by raising the dead. That's not what he said. Casting out demons by healing the sick. Was that the criteria that he said, by this the world will know that you're my disciple? Was that the criteria he gave? Now that's some pretty strong stuff. Raising the dead, casting out demons, healing the sick. That's some pretty cool stuff. And we want that and he wants us to walk in that. But that is not what he said. He said, by this will the world know that you are my disciples. By what? The love that you have for one another. They look at our relationships. They look and see how we do relationship with each other. And they say, hmm. Because the biggest epidemic that's going on in the world right now, well, I'll just say America, is loneliness. Loneliness, lack of relationship, being by myself. And so what's extremely powerful is a gospel that affects, that powerfully impacts relationship. So we have to invest in our relationships. We have to protect our relationships. I want to share one last thing. I had ten things I was going to share, but I'm on number three. (laughs) And I know I'm not going to get to all of them today, but there's one thing I want to share. Years ago, the Lord told me this. He said, um, I want you to begin to daydream. I said, well, I already do that. That was a joke. But anyway, he said, no, I want you to. And I was like, what are you talking about? You know how you, you, know, you sit in math class or whatever class you're in and you're just sitting there, you know, you're drooling and just daydreaming about being away from class and off doing something fun. And, that kind of, and, you're, and it becomes so real. You're just lost, totally not paying attention to what the professor's saying. You're just in another world that's wonderful and glorious. And he said, I want you to daydream. And that's what I went back to. I went back to that picture when I wasn't paying attention in class, that kind of daydreaming. So what do you mean daydreaming? And he said, I want you to begin to dwell on me, my kingdom. And begin to explain things to me. I'm like, because I never heard that before. So I was a little suspicious. That sounded kind of hooky, spooky, weird. I said, okay, Lord, if that's you, give me some word. Back it up. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 through 3. All right, give me another one. Word, the Bible says, let every truth be established by two or more witnesses. I want another one. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 8. Okay, this might be you. Give me another one. Psalms chapter 19, verse 14. Ooh, God, this must be you. You know, Psalms 19, 14, I believe it says something like, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you. If he, uh, Philippians 4, 8 talks about whatever is lovely, noble, beautiful, good report, honorable. Set your mind on these things. Meditate on these things. And then First Col- uh, Colossians 3. Is there a First Colossians anywhere? I keep wanting to say First Corinthians. But anyway, so when the Lord, so, okay, as, all right, God, this is you. 
your word is talking about this. How do I do this? What do I do? And what he showed me to do, and I shared this years ago, but I feel like the Lord is highlighting this again to me in my life, and so I just want to share it with you. To daydream. And how I do this is I put on worship music. Typically, instrumental works best because the, the other stuff, the singing stuff, I start singing it, and it kind of becomes distracting. But just put on something that can help you, uh, help your mind just focus on God. And I get somewhere where I'm not going to be distracted or interrupted or whatever. I put on worship music. I just close my eyes. Typically, I lay on the floor and just close my eyes. And I just think of him. That's what he told me to do. Think about him. And so I would use scriptures and revelations. Talks about how awesome and powerful and cool God is and thunder and lightning. You know, just the images that the, that the word gives us. And I would just think, man, how awesome it would be. Just God and his glory and and imagine all those things, the creatures and the angels and that kind of thing. And so as I begin to do that, and then he also would tell me to daydream me doing things with him. And I remember when something happened that just changed my life, my heart shifted. And it was out of a crazy thing like daydreaming. When I was daydreaming and I would think about heaven, think about Jesus, you know, what he looks like, whatever our image, our, our imagination, um, how it portrays him. And then I saw me and Jesus in a field and there was a football and we just started throwing the football back and forth, started playing catch back and forth. And Jesus and I were, and I remember it took me back to a memory of when I was a kid. I used to play football when I was younger. And I never remembered my dad being at any of those games. Now, whether that was true or not, I don't know. My reality and my perception was my dad was not at any of those games. I need to ask my dad if, and my mom if that was true or not. I, don't, I really don't know. But in my imagination, it wasn't true. So I was disappointed and discouraged that my dad wasn't there. So this image, this thought just came up. And I'm daydreaming throwing football at Jesus. And then all of a sudden, Jesus spoke to me and said, I was there. And it broke me. And I didn't realize that I was having a problem with that. He said, I was there. And it's kind of hard to describe what was happening What I believe was happening is I intentionally started daydreaming, intentionally set my mind on things of God and heaven, and then the Holy Spirit began to lead my thoughts somewhere. Now I know I'm speaking, this may sound crazy, just bear with me. If it doesn't resonate with your your spirit in you, then just chunk it. Just a personal experience of what I believe God was showing me. And as I kept doing that, daydreaming, we'd play catch. We'd sit on a, a pier or a dock and just stick our feet in the water, and I'd lean close to him and just ask him questions. And what was happening in my soul? And what happened, the result was, I just fell passionately in love with Jesus. It's like, What is going on? 
And I remember hours would pass. I'd be sitting there, and then it's like my alarm would go off because I had an appointment. It's like, dang it, can't they meet with me another time? Because I just get so lost in his presence. And then I begin to do that often. And I would daydream about laying hands on the sick and seeing them healed. Laying hands on, I daydream about coming across car scenes when people were dead. And I'd lay hands on them and raise them up. Because Jesus says, you shall lay hands on the sick, you shall raise the dead, you know, in Luke. So I daydream doing that. I do that over and over and over. Pray for the sick. Approach people in Walmart. Approach people. And guess what started happening? See, this was way back. This is before I started praying for people. But guess what started happening? When I went to Walmart, I see somebody thinking, hmm. I'm going to give this a try. And I begin to approach people in Walmart, in Lowe's, wherever, see people get healed. And then a couple of years later, the Holy Spirit told me why he wanted me to start daydreaming. He said, I want you to become the man in your daydreams. It's like, wow. So I just want to share that to say we have to be intentional and set our heart and our affections and our minds on him. We have to protect our relationship with him. We have to invest in our relationship with him. And if we do these things, we begin to invest in our relationship with our spouse and the Lord. We are going to be passionate, on fire, crazy, radical, married people. And people are going to look at us and say, um, can you tell me how I can have what you have? I say, sure. Would you stand with me? If you just close your eyes, I trust and, and I really believe that the Holy Spirit's just been touching our hearts and speaking to us. And if there's one particular thing, see, I believe I'm speaking to a family of people who really do want to have a greater hunger, a greater passion for God and His kingdom. And I believe that's why the Lord's having me share these things. Whatever it is that the Holy Spirit is putting his finger on, it could be about your marriage or it could be about him or it could be both. I just want to encourage you to invite him and just say, yes, Lord. And I believe he's going to specifically and give you some practical things to do. Maybe some things that I've already talked about. Maybe some other things. Some practical things that he will encourage you to do and he will give you the grace to do it. He'll give you the ability. But you have to accept that grace. Can't just take it for granted and say, oh, well, I'll get to it later. And invite him to speak and to do what he wants. And I want to encourage you to surrender. 
And the one thing I do want to bring to your attention and encourage you that we need to really repent of this stuff. Dwelling on the negative attributes. Dwelling, setting our mind on negative characteristics of our spouse or the negative characteristics of God, the things we don't understand. And fixating ourselves on those things. That stuff will destroy us. And I would even invite you to pray this with me in your heart. Father, I, there are things that I do not understand. Things that I've been pretty upset about. And that's an understatement. But Father, I do not want these things to become an idol. I do not want my lack of understanding, lack of answers, to be that which I worship and give my allegiance to. But I choose, Father, by an act of my will and by the grace that you give me to lay these things at the altar. And I say, Lord, I give this to you. And I invite you to do whatever you want with it. And in the meantime, by your grace, I'm coming after you. And I'm going to do the things that you show me. That's going to help fan into flame my passion for you and for my spouse. And the other relationships that that you've put in my life. I thank you, Father, that our motivation in all this is our love for you. That is our motivation. We want to love you and we want to love each other so that the world will know that we belong to you by the way we treat each other. We love you, we thank you, and we honor you, Father, again, for what you're doing in our lives. And I thank you for what you're doing in this church family. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.